Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 24th episode. Today, I'm going to have Christina Williams, who is a professional bodybuilder, and she's going to talk to us about various things within the sport of bodybuilding. She's going to talk about the culture. She's going to talk about how she actually stays motivated and how she deals with diets and coaching people on diets. And one thing that I really love what she talks about is how she visualizes her performance. So you get a good understanding of how she sees herself performing on the stage and how she perfects her poses. But one thing that you're going to love about this interview is her passion, how she's just downright straightforward about everything about her life, but also about the sport. So I can't wait for you to hear Christina and her story. So let's go talk to Christina. Hey, Christina, how are you? I'm good, Grant. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm I'm really excited to have you on my show. I've, you know, I've had a I've actually had one bodybuilder on my show so far, and I'm really excited to, to hear your story and kind of hear how you get prepared for competitions mentally and physically, and yeah, I'm just really excited to talk to you today. Oh, me too. Thank you for having me. You bet. Before we get into kind of your journey as, as a, a bodybuilder and, and what you do to get yourself mentally prepared, I always ask all my guests what mentally tough means to them. So what does mentally tough mean to you? You know, I, I think that answer for me personally has kind of changed over time. Um, recently, I've kind of taken some time to reflect, and it, it's actually a, a time-wise a great question for me. Um, I think mentally tough for me personally means having a great deal of self-control. Um, in, the, in the sport of bodybuilding, if you don't have, I guess, what most would call discipline, um, I think it, it, it goes much more beyond discipline. I think that having self-control, um, not only over yourself, but over the world that you try to create, um, allows you the ability to really be mentally tough because without it, you'll never be successful in the sport. hundred percent. I agree with you. And do you, you know, throughout your career as a bodybuilder, was there a moment in your career when you realized that you needed to either be more mentally tough or tap into that mindset to um, to be more mentally tough? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've been competing over the last uh, six years. And, you know, my, my original career starting out in, in, in NPC as an amateur and then even crossing over into pro, until this last year, when I decided to really go all in and try to, you know, make it to Olympia, I really had no idea the level of, as you say, mental toughness that I had to put myself in. And, you know, a lot of competitors think that they're giving 100%. They think that they're all in. And I would challenge you that you're not. There were days in the gym where, you know, I'll, <clears throat> I'll say I was I was crying. And I, I wasn't crying because it hurt or because I was sad. I was crying because the the mental and emotional uh, position that I had to put myself in in order to really push myself to go beyond the barriers, it, it is, to call it an emotional journey is an understatement. Um, and, and I, the only time I've ever experienced that really was this last year because it took every single thing I had because I had to grow not only physically, but emotionally in order to really survive what was required to compete at this level. And until you're able to do that and you are willing, good luck because you won't make it. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. I know a lot of um, friends have been bodybuilders. I've had trainers that when I was, um, when I was playing football back in the day, uh, they were bodybuilders that trained me. And, you know, recently I had uh, Patricia Johnson on my, t on my podcast as well. And it's, it's interesting because when you're looking at a bodybuilder and you see, you see this image of someone, you know, obviously fit, um, smiling, yeah. a lot of energy, you know, they look like in top shape and, and you are, but there's to the road to get there is so tough when you're, you know, depleting your know, water out of your body, you're cutting your calories um, you're, you're up and up your workouts. There's so much, it's so taxing to your, not only your body, but your mind, and especially at the level you're talking yeah. about, you know? Yeah. 
Most definitely. You know, and I, I think what people don't realize, and, and I would challenge any professional athlete, that bodybuilding is, if not the, I would say, it's got to be the top five most difficult sports. And here's the reason why. We cannot self-soothe the way that other sports allow allow you to. We Not only do we have to look a certain way, we have to act a certain way, we have to diet a certain way. Every single decision that we make, all the way down to, do I go to the grocery store? Do I sleep? Do I sit on the couch? Do I walk out of the house right now? Has an impact to not only our, our mental state, but the way that our body looks. And we don't get to go out pizza. We don't get to go to dinner with friends. We, we do not. Um, not at this level. And, and any, you know, whereas, you know, a professional baseball player, if he had a bad game, well, you know, he didn't want to sit with his family or he can, you know, go have a beer or, or go out with his teammates. This is a very lonely sport. And the only, you have no one to rely on but yourself. And, you know, you have your coaches and you have your, you know, your, your village of support, but it is you. And when you have a tough day and you're dealing with the rest of the life challenges that everybody on this the face of this earth is dealing with, you don't get the traditional outlet to kind of refill up your cup. And let's face it, regardless of what we look like, regardless of our training, regardless of the time and effort, it is a subjective sport. This is not a foot race. There are no points. Um, you are you are at the mercy of the judges. And, and whether you're in bikini or whether you're, you know, as you kind of grow, grow the ranks of, of size, bikini to figure, to physique, to bodybuilding, you know, the it's extremely subjective. And it's it's a challenge. And it's you're, you're constantly stepping up to, you know, hope that it's your day. And, it again, it has nothing to do at times with sometimes even how you showed up and looked. You know, it's it's very difficult. You know, it's interesting you talked about uh, the judges because, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I've heard from, from other bodybuilders that that there's this uh, dynamic that exists within bodybuilding where if you're going to be competing in another county or another city, another state, that there can be some favoritism to more of the local bodybuilders. And if that is true or it does exist, how do you deal with that? mentally before you going in to compete? You know, I kind of like to answer that question uh, twofold. The first is I'm going to answer it as a competitor and then I'm going to answer it as a coach and then I'm going to answer it as a judge. Okay. Beautiful. So, you know, the, the first thing I would say as a competitor, now let's see, let's take it as a judge. Um, You're looking at potentially 30 to 40 athletes on stage and now in the amateur division you know the npc they are coming at you so fast you're you're looking you're on paper you're you're looking down you're looking up you're looking down you're looking up and you've been sitting there for eight hours you've not gotten up you've not gone to the bathroom you have no break and it is body after body after body and you know i think it's only natural that when you recognize someone's face you're going to have a connection with them and so I don't, I can't say that it's local or not local because, you know, lots of competitors travel around. Again, that's the NPC, you know, as a pro, um, you want to get in front of the same judges so that they show progress. And again, you know, you know, in, in, uh, in bikini, which is where I can be, compete at, you know, you're talking about the classes are getting so much bigger. You know, it's, you're up there with 30 to 35 girls and that's a lie so you know if you stay in front of the same judges you know you're they remember you and so you know you're out of you know what I mean we, we don't get to stand up there for an hour and you know you try to get it's, it's just a crash you right so if I'm standing I'm five nine on a bad day if I'm standing next to Norman who's five feet tall you know how are you comparing us right right and so you know it's that's 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 not the judge's fault. That's just how the sport is played at, at the pro level. Um, and her body is going to look different next to mine. You know, so that's kind of, as a judge, they have a really difficult job, you know. 
Um, and, and again, you're, who are you being compared and, and in what lineup? Because, you know, they're only looking at anywhere from five to eight at a time, right? So it's kind of unfair to them to start off. Mm. Um, the second thing I'd answer is as a coach. As a coach, it's my job to make sure that my athletes get looked at um, in the right sequence. So, you know, the first thing is to get them in front of the same judges repetitively because, number one, I want the same feedback. You know, if you're bouncing around the country and you're getting looked at constantly at different people, well, again, subjective sport. Some, some judges like a fuller physique. Some judges like a very dry physique that looks very muscular. And so you're, you're doing the athlete a disservice if you're bouncing them around. You know, and so the way that I do it as a coach is if, they're, if they want to go for their pro card, um, is I look at our lineup for the year and I'm like, okay, well, you know, what judges are going to be at this production company and what judges are going to be there. And I try to get them to be seen over and over and over again, because I do want that recognition. Um, and I want their feedback. If you are my athlete, you are going to stay at midnight when the show gets over and you will humbly stand in front of every judge and you will get feedback, and I will be there with you to hold your hand because I want to know what does Jerry Sava want? What does Steve O'Brien want? Because, again, subjective sport. Mm. And so you piece together each one of those pieces of feedback, and that's what you deliver to the next show. You know, competitors that are like, I just can't wait to eat with my family, and I want a donut, and I want a cupcake. Come on now. <laughs> you just dieted for the last six months, and you can't wait another three hours well, you know, then, then I'm maybe not the best coach for you because I'm very serious. I run a boutique team, and I'm, I'm all in with my athletes. And so if, you're, if your priority list is a cupcake, honey, then go have the cupcake, and, and I wish you the best. Um, because I, I can't – I don't decide to be all in or not all in. I, I can't want it more than you do. And if, if, and if that's okay, too, I wanted to be seen – in front of the judges that were repetitively seeing me because I need to figure out who likes me, who likes my physique, you know, and we all have a type, you know, I tell my, I tell my athletes, look, you're either going to be Lucy Lou, you're going to be uh, J Lo, you're going to be, uh, you know, Jennifer Aniston, pick a type. Now for me, um, if you kind of watch my history, I started off as, you know, I, I basically was Pamela Anderson, you know, five foot 10 on stage you know, and that's a certain type and the judges kind of have a look that they're going for. And so I've evolved my look. I dyed my hair black and I'm, I'm going more towards that kind of girl next door hybrid, if you will, because that's kind of where the sport was gravitating to in, in my look, you know? And so from there, you know, I'm, I'm very tall. So I need to put myself in front of judges that like my look. You know, because otherwise I'm wasting my time, my sponsor's time, my sponsor's money. Um, and and for what? You know, to just show up and be like, hey, I'm here. You know, so I I spent a lot of time and a lot of money. And I, I went because I'm from the, I'm on the West Coast. And so I spent a lot of time and I wanted to know on the East Coast how I ranked up. And so I flew all the way to Pennsylvania. You know, I went to and I wanted to be in front of all the Olympia judges because I wanted to know how I ranked up. And it was very challenging because I had just gotten off stage in Utah and I was told, you know, you're a little too big in these areas. And then I showed up in Pennsylvania and they're like, ah, you're not big enough. Mm. And so it kind of, it's, it's a mind fuck. And so you're standing there and you're like, well, what do I do with this? Um, and so you really have to look at the head judge because the head judge is, is who you need to cater to. And so, um, you know, and, and it, the same thing is when I coach, you know, uh, uh, depending on where you're at, they have a, t a different kind of look. And so plus or minus two weeks, I'm going to be ready for that judge. And so it's between you and the coach deciding what look you need to bring, you know, and so it's, uh, you, it's, it's your job to kind of show up the right way for the right judge. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, it's, as I've done some research and, and kind of followed your, your career, I've seen that evolution of the different hair colors <laughs> and the different you know types of bikinis and and I and I had no clue yeah. that that you you know in the sport that you your 
you have to tailor your your look and your vibe to to certain judges and i had no clue that uh, existed yeah it's and it's a mind mess too because you know you're constantly like what do you want what do you want what do you want and you know we don't take it personal i don't go home and go oh my husband doesn't like me because i my shoulder caps aren't big enough i mean we're we really are architects and so right. and we're constantly building this house it's not personal although the journey is personal um, I don't ever look at myself and feel less than because a judge told me my shoulder caps were too big or my glutes needed to be more rounded. We we're professionals in every sense of the word, and and I and we approach it like that. You know, we take their feedback as if I'm building a house, and they, you know, the client wants a, a bigger front porch with a couple more stairs. It's you really do separate yourself from that. And I, and I think, you know, we, we live in this age where people are getting filler in their butts and their, you know, lipo and all these things. And, you know, and I, I've had, you know, doctors approach me for my clients, you know, fat spot reduction and whatnot. And what I would say is any, any competitor is never going to take that route. And the reason is because we want to earn and enjoy the journey. We, we step up for that. We don't, again, we don't look in the mirror and go, I am going to feel better if I can fit into this, you know, this dress or we're, we are professional athletes. We are not for the Friday night, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. Absolutely. So what, what inspired you to compete at the professional level? Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of, there's three answers to that. I think the first one is it's, if you're going to compete, why wouldn't you go all the way to the top? Um, you know, people compete their entire lives and never make it. They never make it. And so, you know, you, everybody wants to kind of throw their dart at the wall and say, do I have what it takes? Otherwise, why are you wasting your time and your money? I've been very fortunate that I've, I've built a very, you know, very lucrative company around bettering people's lives. And there's a lot of people that are just paying for this board and they haven't been able to make that transition to a revenue stream. So I've, I've enjoyed that, which has been great. You know, I think the second thing is, you know, do you, what does it mean to be a pro? You know, a lot of people are trying to get their quote unquote pro card and they get it and then they're, you know, poof, gone. A lot of women, a lot of women in bikinis. Okay, I did that. Check that box. Now I can go get pregnant and I'm off on my own. Mm. You know, so great. You, you got your pro card. Now what are you going to do with it? Because I will tell you, um, competing at this level, you'll have no idea. And I have to, you know, kind of, tell some of my fellow, you know, my fellow pro athletes that when they first start competing as a pro, you're playing a different game now. Uh, NPC is very different from the IFBB. And if you want to compete at this level, it's a different game. And it's kind of a mind fuck because you're not prepared for it. You know, my very first pro show, you know, you, you, me, myself as an athlete, I had never placed, I had never not placed top five ever. Not once. You know, I was first, second, first, second, maybe a third, maybe. I had never not enjoyed the victory of several wins. And, uh, you know, so I stepped on a stage for a sack pro. You, you need to leave. Uh, what? <laughs> what do you mean? I didn't, I didn't win? And so it's kind of that you're standing there and you're like, are you shitting me? And it's, it's very, it's a surreal moment because you're like, I'm so confused uh, and it takes you a little while to acclimate and to kind of learn the new rules. And, um, and then you have to sit back and decide, do I want to play this game? Because this game is not the game I was used to. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of a moment. And then you, and you have to ask yourself, what do I want to do here? You know, do I want to chase, do I want to just compete as a pro? Or am I chasing Olympia? And if I'm chasing Olympia, am I chasing wins? Or am I chasing points? Mm-hmm. And you need to make that deciding factor. And a lot of times that's a financial decision and it's a mental decision because when you're chasing points, you know, you're trying to pick shows where maybe there's not as many competitors showing up, not as many big names. And then there's, can I win? You know, can I take first place? And then you need to be very strategic about that show. And, and, you know, I had done, I competed in eight shows back to back to back. I was doing one every two weeks and people were like, the fuck is she doing? Because every time I turned around, they were like, you look great. Just keep coming. Uh, okay. 
you know, and so <laughs> right. my physique was ready. It wasn't like you need to take a, you know, a big off season. And to be honest with you, was I really going to go do fucking two hours of cardio again every day? Oh, hell no. You know, and so it's like, I'm ready. And unless you tell me I need to make drastic changes, I'm just going to keep fucking showing up. As long as my bank account can allow. And I will tell you, it took a huge toll on me that I didn't realize it was taking. And I'm sure you'll ask a question later on because you know what? It's, I'm not a stay-at-home mom, and I'm not trying to cast dispersions on people that are or that competing is their sole job. I run two companies. I manage the life of, you know, 80 to 90 people, and I have a family, and it's it's tough. It, it really is tough. So, you know, a lot of people would argue, well, this is your job, and I would say, you know what? It's not my job. I make a very happy living, and it has nothing to do with Olympia or my chase for it. My clients don't give a shit about whether I made it or I don't make it, whether I hustle or I don't hustle. In the competing world, they don't know any different whether I'm competing or not competing other than my Instagram story changes. You know what I mean? So it's a personal decision. And a lot of times you don't know what question you're trying to answer. And when I made the decision, I'd say, you know, my family and I, I'd like to say that made the decision to go all in for Olympia. It took a bigger toll than I was willing to pay. And I'll be very honest about that. Well, it's it's interesting too. I love how you, you kind of covered the motivation. A lot of athletes are so uh, end resulted focused where, you know, they just want the win. And, you know, is it wins? Is it points? You know, what, what truly, why am I doing this? And And I love how you covered that. And you did also talk about, you know, because you're you were in shape and you were getting good feedback that you were just going from one competition to the next how did you mentally prepare yourself to do that because what people don't understand is that getting prepared for just one competition there's so much energy and so much time and discipline that that goes into it how do you keep on that same road that very positive mental you know focus when you're going from one competition to the next you know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, it's a, that's a hard, it's, it's a very hard question, not because I don't know the answer, but because it's, it's like, how much do I want to go in the vault? Um, so when I started this year in December and I, I went to my, um, my partner at the time, you, I really didn't know, I really didn't know the grab, you know, the, the gravity of what it was going to take the toll on me personally and um, I'm actually a product of a very, very bad childhood. Um, you name it, it happened to me. You know, mom, drug addict, uh, prostitute, bringing home guys, you know, no food in the house, taken away at the age of seven. I mean, I, I met my dad twice. In order to really, I had to tap into those feelings and those feelings were hard. So if you, if you, if you followed me and, and when this gets published, you know, people are going to, they're, they're going to, you know, recall watching my Instagram story, my Snapchats. And I didn't cry because I was sad. I, I would cry and I, I cried a lot. Um, I, and I am not a fucking crier, which is like unreal. I'm very masculine in a lot of my traits because to survive where I came from, um, you would have to be. And, and I don't, I hate almost to talk about it because I'm not the, I'm not a fucking poster child for shit that happened to me. I don't, I don't, it made me who I am. But if that's the reason you follow me is because, you know, I'm constantly talking about woe is me. That's not me. I, it doesn't define me. I don't need it. So I kind of even hate to like bring it up because it, it, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want it. I don't need pity. But in saying that, I had to really deal with and tap into emotions of, you know, the feeling of, of, of lacking, you know, the, the feeling of not being good enough because, when my coach, Matt Allen, you know, would tell me, like, I want four sets of failure, sometimes I would fucking take me six sets, and, and I, I was drained. I am tired. I am working six days a week, and, and, and I'm six days a week, you know, with, with no breaks. You know, you're, I'm up at 4 a.m. I'm in my garage doing cardio, fasting, you know, then I'm, I'm doing clients, and then I'm back to the gym. And one of my biggest challenges actually was missing meals because I'm a non-eater, I'm a stress non-eater and my, I'm an ectomorph. And so unless I'm going to pump myself full of a bunch of shit, which doesn't get you there anyways, I had to really stop and say, what, 
what rituals are not serving me and what am I going to do about it? Because if you think you're good enough, part of what I needed to iron out was being a little more selfish and that selfishness cost me a great deal in my personal life. But staying on topic, I would hate to sit in front of clients and eat. So I would just not eat. And, you know, you're talking almost 2,000 calories. Well, that's 2,000 calories of, of fish and of, you know, uh, rice. You know, it's, my, it's not food you want to eat, you know what I mean? And, you know, I would look at this. I, I tell my clients when they, when they come to check in, and I would, I would run out of my room in my underwear, and I, I have this huge mirror in my living room, and I would flex my quads, and i go, yeah, you look like shit today. All right, well, back to the drawing board. You know, and, it's, it, and honestly, it was a, but it kept me honest. And when that alarm went off to eat, you shove that food in your mouth, and you get it done. And whether people have to undereat or overeat, none of it is fun. I had to really look at my rituals and, and say what, what is required. And I had to be very honest and very, very realistic about what I was going to do. And then I had to rearrange my schedule and my life to make sure that I could do those things. And it meant I didn't get to go out with my friends. I didn't get to even go to dinner. I mean, if we did... You know, I'm eating, I'm eating out of a plastic bag on the drive to the restaurant, so I didn't make people feel uncomfortable, and I'm ordering asparagus, I'm ordering a salad, so that I'm not sitting there like a jackass in front of people that I love, so that they can socialize, and, you know, my partner of nine years at the time, you know, he, he didn't realize what he was signing up for, and I mean, bless his heart, it it was hard because it's not just me competing. It's everyone around me because once I have to take away certain parts of myself, I'm also taking it away from them and asking them to sacrifice. And we don't talk about that. And, you know, it's, it, that's a hard part. I, this is a fucking selfish sport. And there's a point in your life where you're going to see it and the point where you're not. And if you're not being selfish, unfortunately, I think your ranking is going to, to reflect it. You know what I mean? Because you're going to have to make, you get $1 to spend every day and, and where are you going to spend it? And if it's not to yourself and to compete and keep yourself. And I, I, at the time thought I was managing it very well. And apparently I wasn't, you know, so. First of all, thank you for, for sharing, uh, you know, your, your journey and your, your childhood. I think, you know, we all have a story and we all, we all kind of source our motivation, you know, whether if it was from a negative experience or a positive experience. And, you know, and, and I think what's great about your story, it's, it's real. Like, you know, that shit happens to people, you know, and, and the yeah. way that you've channeled that, you know, that energy, the way you channeled that motivation and the intensity about the way you go about your life. It's, it's remarkable. And, and, and I applaud you on that. So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, you brought something up about diet as well. Can you share with me, like, what's the hardest part about not only just dieting for a competition, but literally weeks before a competition? Because that's where it gets really serious when it comes to, with your diet. Can you share with me a little bit about kind of your regimen or your program? Sure. Um, if I can just put that question on hold for just one second, and I, just to kind of just wrap up um, the motivation part something that really helped me that, and it's almost like a, I can't listen to them now because it, 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 it kind of puts me back in this space is, um, I listen to a lot of motivational videos. Um, I listen to TD Jakes. I listen to, uh, Eric Thomas. I, and I, I would purposefully put myself, and if you listen to a lot of motivational videos, they are negative. Um, they're not negative in terms, in terms of the message, but it's always away from pain, never towards pleasure. And, um, and that, that there's kind of two fold things that I had to realize when you're, when you're listening to TV Jakes, for example, he's always talking about a pain point and how to overcome it. And that served me backstage when I'm trying to feel like a fucking champion, because it actually can be very defeating, um, because you're constantly, again, moving away from pain. Well, when you're backstage and you're trying to get focused and get ready, you need to think about winning. You need to feel like a champion. You need to feel like you've already won. You're just walking out to pick up that fucking sword and that tiara. And so, you know, I had to switch gears because the, uh, the TD Jakes and the Eric Thomas and, and those messages, 
you know, they were putting me back into a place mentally where don't give up. Well, fuck, now I'm behind stage, and I got to feel like my shit don't stink, and I got to go out there like the queen. And if you meet me, I'm a, um, I'm a very, uh, very even-keeled person. I'm not driven by ego. I'm very humbled. I'm a, I'm a regular human being. Not that every, anybody isn't, but I think a lot of people think that um, we're drama queens or we're, we're very egocentric. And don't get me wrong, uh, uh, there's a lot of that in the sport. You can't not be, because when you are on stage, if you don't think your shit don't stink, they're going to see right through you. And so you have to walk out there like, I'm the shit. You know, hair flicks and, and, and like a boss. And um, so I would have a certain set of videos I would listen to during training. And there was a couple that I would listen to when I was ready to go on stage. And so I, w- I would encourage anyone in any sport is to know the difference between the two. Find both of your channels and exercise them in the right moment because you got to ask yourself, what question am I trying to answer today? And because this is about mental toughness and you need those tools and you need that support and you kind of got to build that bubble so that you can be successful in the moment you're trying to exercise. Now to answer your question about diet, I'm going to, I'm going to answer it personally, even though there's if people were being truthful with you, uh, they would answer very differently than I'm going to answer you. Um, again, the key being if they were answering truthfully. Mm-hmm. Um, what you find is a lot of people, are, are, you know, they'll scramble at the end. Oh, my God, I'm going to have uh, donuts and I'm going to have a uh, pizza and I'm going to have this and like that. I, I'm a big fitness model. I have, I have people that are counting on me. I need to be a week to two weeks ready for any type of photo shoot or video shoot that I'm going to do. I am a professional. I, I would find it would irritate me if I had hired someone and they weren't ready. And so I don't, you know what, sugar, uh, pizza, all that stuff. Yeah. Do I enjoy that? Sure I do. Um, but you don't put 87 octane in a Porsche. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I, and I tell that to people a lot. I, I don't really eat like that. Number one, I've been, this is a lifestyle for me. So do I eat pizza occasionally? Sure. But my stomach, you know, I, I, I went on a, a vacation, like right after I got done with one of one of my shows and I was like, oh, I have a fucking tickets bar, no big deal. I literally spent three days in Vegas um, with the worst stomach ache ever. Mm. And so it ruined my entire trip because I had to break down those type of foods. And so, you know, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't serve me. Now I will tell you because I was going show to show to show, uh, if, if my coach here is going to be mad, but the truth. So, you know, I would get off shows, you know, and basically have a travel day Sunday. Um, and I would kind of do what I wanted on Sunday, do what I wanted on Monday and then come Tuesday, you need to clean it up. And now I would gain 10 to 15 pounds pretty much overnight. Now what you have to understand is, that is not body fat. That is water because I haven't had water for two days. Mm-hmm. And when you don't drink water, uh, water and you and you manipulate salt, you know, the body produces chemicals like aldosterone and, and rind so that it manipulates the water retention. And so what's happening is a normal occurrence that I was already going to put on weight. Now, does that mind fuck me? Not really. I've been doing this a very long time and I know what's going to happen in my body. So I'd never freak out. I basically get a week to clean it up, to re-regulate my water retention. And you'll find like my very good friend, uh, uh, Gerald Williams is that, you know, he'll do colonics to rehydrate the body from the inside out to speed that process up. Now I don't care. I'm not going to run in the mirror and be like, Oh, what am I going to do? That only raises your cortisol level and stresses you out. And for women, that's a no, no. So I would just kind of allow the process mentally to take its, its place and its course. Um, and I also knew that I needed two weeks in between shows. Week to week to week was never going to suit me, but I, I was okay. Now, something with food that you'll find and what always upsets me is that, you know, there's this big stigmatism that, you know, the sport creates eating disorders. That's a bunch of fucking shit. Okay. <laughs> what I tell people is, hey, you went out on a Friday night, you know, you, uh, you had some drinks. Did you have some heroin? Because I'm pretty sure that a couple of cocktails didn't, you know, push you all the way to the other side to now be a full on drug addict. 
I'm sorry. You knew exactly what you were doing when you were eating that full pizza. You're, you're eating eight donuts. You know, you're shoving cupcakes in your face. You did that. You're a grown adult and you know right from wrong. And, you know, unfortunately, I think what happens, although, is, uh, and look, I'm not trying to put anybody down, but this is my personal opinion, and I'll fully stand behind it. If you couldn't stop yourself from eating, we need counseling, okay? No coach that over-dieted you, you know, oh, now I'm binge eating. Well, then we need to talk about that. And, you know, does it happen? A lot. Again, you know, but... I'm a, you're a professional. You have obligations that you have, you know, you have events that you need to show up to and you are unrecognizable. You know, you went from, you know, 10% body fat to 37. At what point were you going to take responsibility and say, this is unhealthy for me and I need help? You know, and a lot of times, you know, it's the sport might attract people that already had food issues. Um, and a lot of those things stem from childhood you know, we, we self-soothe through drugs, alcohol, food, sex, you know, bad relationships, whatever it is, it's just easy to point at food and drugs and alcohol. And a lot of times, is you know, you need help. And so, you know, something that I watch my clients very closely with is um, you really can't reverse diet decline unless they're under 10% body fat because the way the body responds to carbs is very different and whatnot as you're, you know, kind of refeeding the athlete needs to be very closely watched. A lot of coaches are like, well, they paid me for that show and now peace out. They never, you never hear from them again. Well, whose fault is that, right? I would blame the structure of, of coaching in general, um, that you really shouldn't lose sight of a client. And so that's how I've kind of dictated my own off season for folks. And I will slowly and carefully reintroduce foods because they need support. They don't just get off stage and go, eh, I guess I'm on my own because you got a 50, 50 that they're going to, all of a sudden eat foods that they never ate before because they thought they were depriving themselves and they need support, you know, but again, we're supposed to be professionals. We're adults. You got to take some responsibility. Nobody shoved that food down your face. At some point you got to raise your hand and go either I need help or I got to stop. Right. Right. A lot of people are going to be pissed off. I said that. (laughs) I don't care. Well, I think it's, it's, um, I think it's big of you to, to, to take the responsibility of, kind of seeing through the whole process. The process necessarily doesn't stop when the competition's over. There's there's a post game, yes. you know, that you need to, to deal with. And and kind of what you were talking about earlier about, you know, you, you obviously are very disciplined on what you put in your body. And your body is probably, you know, obviously I've seen many pictures of you. It's it's top shape. And you just took three days and, and ate a lot of bad food. So your your body was like, what the hell? And you had yeah. stomach aches. It's just so you, as a trainer, as a co- competitor, you don't want that to happen to your athletes that you're, you're coaching. So I, I love the responsibility and the accountability of kind of seeing that process through. Thank you. You know, the, the other thing also has to do with water. A lot of my athletes hate it, but I don't even let them go back into the gym for Wednesday. And here's the reason why. You're fucking dehydrated. You haven't had water for two days. The last thing you need to do is go and try and shock your system and try, you're going to get dizzy. You're not going to feel good. Um, You need to rehydrate the body and, and, and be careful. You know, you can't expect unless they're a pro, almost like an hourly, an hourly employee and and salary. Well, salary knows better than to work a 24 hour day and an hourly doesn't. Right. And so, you know, there's a reason why you have two, but you have to, and I, all of my athletes, I'm like, look, it, we need to be friends five years from now. Um, I don't, I'm never going to crash course you. I'm never going to shove this down your throat because I want you to have a good experience um, because it's not just this one show. It's your life, and we need to be careful. And, and, and we have a responsibility as, as a coach, as a fellow competitor, and a, and a regular human being that, you know, that you give good advice and that you support them and that – there's no reason why you shouldn't take a, a day or two and rehydrate and re-regulate your body. It's in the grand scheme of things, it, it's going to help you do more shows in the long run and create balance. And I'm all about balance. You know, there are times where, you know, uh, I'll see an athlete and they alienate themselves from their family. And, and the husband is just asking you to go on a goddamn bike ride. What the fuck is wrong with you that you can't just go on a bike ride? 
we're so like stuck in our process that it's like your partner of, you know, 10 years is asking you to just go on a simple bike ride and no, I don't want to. I need my Chris bar. And you're like, are you for real? You're going to be divorced in two years if you're not careful because you're, you know what I mean? We're so myopic in our thinking and, and we put our blinders on because we want it so bad. And my job as a coach is to number one, calculate what damage that bike ride is going to do to you. And in the grand scheme of things, look out for your best interest, not just that one show, because it's at the end of the day, it's not worth it. I mean, I, but you can give them an option, right? It's always their choice, but you know, I, they have, they need to have options, you know, and, and they're, and they're trying to trust you to say, can I do this? Is this allowed? Is this going to hurt me? And it's your job as their coach or mentor or fellow competitor to say, well, this is what's going to happen when you do this. And this is what's going to happen when you do that. I go on the bike ride. Seems pretty good to me, right. you know, just as an example. Right. Well, uh, again, another a great point because, you know, one of my mentors not too long ago, I was talking to him about kind of some of my experiences talking in front of teams and, and working with, with athletes and just the joy that I get when I'm when I'm working because it doesn't seem like work and I'm and I told him I had this conversation I'm like I just I just want to do this forever like I, I mean I am going to do forever yeah. but but I'm like I don't I want to do this all the time and he kind of looked at me he's like so what do you mean <laughs> what do you mean by that are you, are you taking some breaks I'm like well I am but I, I don't want to and he goes no man you, you got balance you got to balance it out your work will yeah will, will, will be more meaningful you'll, you'll be more organized you, you know you'll be on more point when you take some breaks, I understand it. You, you get, you get really pumped up and you feel the energy of other teams and athletes and coaches, but you got to balance that out. It's going to make you a better coach, mm -hmm. a mental performance coach down in the long run. So you make a great point on that. Well, you know, and, and just to follow that up, my, uh, again, my, my very good friend, uh, Gerald Williams, you know, he, I actually was at um, the San Jose Fit Expo and I was supposed to go to a, a friend's housewarming party that night. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to go. He was like, why do you want to go? And I'm like, man, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm allowed to go. I just, is this going to set me back? And I'm, I'm, I'm very focused right now. And, and I'm going to stay out late. And I'm, and even though I'm allowed to have a glass of wine, but like, I, I, I don't want to do it, you know, cause you're like, Oh, well, what if this is that one thing that, you know, that, you know, that cupcake equals second place, you know? <laughs> and he told me this story. He goes, you know, there, he goes, there were these two wood choppers. And uh, he said they were, they were both competing to see in a, in a 10 hour period, which one could chop more wood. But the first guy, you know, he was very diligent and, you know, for 10 hours straight, he did nothing but chop wood. He didn't take any breaks. He didn't drink any water. He didn't eat any food. And he kept looking over at the next guy and he's like, hey, motherfucker, every hour he's taking a break. I got this. And so at the end of the 10 hours, you know, he was looking at his pile and he's like, oh, I did a really good job. And um, he looks over at the guy that was taking breaks and seemed to be lazy and he had chopped twice the amount of wood that he did. And he sits, he put his head in his hands, and he's like, the fuck did this happen? And he walks over and he goes, man, I don't mean to be rude, but he goes, every time I look at you, you're taking a break. And the guy goes, mm, I wasn't taking a break. He goes, I was sharpening my axe. You <laughs> see, your perception yeah. of the break is completely wrong. And, and to put that into the way that I manage my clients, I had a couple of gals that... Um, you know, five weeks, six weeks out, had a chance to go to Vegas. They had a trip plan, and I'm like, oh, you're going, and you're going to have a good time. Oh, and I send myself back, and then, and then I go, listen to me. Number one, I'm good at what I do, so I'm calculating what you're going to fuck up over two days, and I'm pretty sure that we're going to do fine, so don't worry about it. And number two, your last two weeks, you're going to be burnt out. And at the end of the day, when I come to you and I need you to kind of have a little bit left in the gas tank and reserve I need you to have it and me giving you two days off I'll clean it up but go and just enjoy yourself and you know when they got back you know it was crying and oh I missed that bag and oh, and I'm like yeah we're good <laughs> we're good they're both doing amazing you know they're both doing amazing and so it's like that's trust between you and your coach um and again this is a marathon this is not a sprint and it's my job to know the difference and it's my job to establish trust in my clients so that they throw up their hands and relinquish control. They work for me. I don't work for them. And all my people know that. That's awesome. I love, I love, I just love the way you think. I love your intensity about it. Um, 
And, you know, and it's it's good from a coaching perspective when you're being coached that you have somebody that like you that, that's like you that's going to tell you like it is. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, right? You know, I'm not for everybody, and I also don't take everybody. And if, if I, what people don't realize is that I'm actually interviewing you at the same time that you're interviewing me. And right. if I don't feel like we have a good connection, then I will, I will lovingly make an introduction to someone that is just going to take your money because I run a very small boutique company, and this is a choice for me. I have to decide, do I want to answer your phone at 4 a.m. when you call me? And if the answer is no, um, then I can't just cash your checks. It's not what I, that's not why I do this. And at some point, you're not going to like me either. And so the quicker we can figure that out, the better you're going to have a great experience and the better I'm going to love my life. So I'm good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have, I have one more question before we wrap things up, but it's kind of a, it's a two-part question. And it's something that when it comes to performing, I mean, there's all these different things as an athlete, you know, to get prepared mentally. There's all these things you can do from breathing, visualizing performance, all these things. But to me, I, I really, um, I'm a big proponent of visualizing your performance. And you talked about earlier being backstage about, you know, telling yourself like you are a champion, seeing yourself holding up that sword and wearing that tiara. So... How much do you visualize yourself being the champion, winning the award, and also how much do you visualize yourself posing? Uh, that's a great that's a great question um, and very relevant. So this year, I, I have a habit, and I and I I have my clients do this as well, where when I lay down at night, I will walk myself, um, and I actually just say it out loud um, because I I kind of have like every seven seconds my brain disengages and I start thinking about something else that I'm not supposed to be thinking about. Mm. You'll visualize myself stepping on stage, moving my hand like this. And then I move my feet like this. And then I wink or then I do this and then I do that. And it's, it's every night that I go to bed. And um, I'm also a big proponent of the secret. You know, I, I believe that, you know, the universe is, uh, is, is going to bring to you what, what you've put out. And so part of the challenge is that um, you need to act as if you've already won and visualize myself all day long, all day, every day, going through my routine. But I had this mental block of getting called out in the top five. And if you look at my history this year, it didn't happen. And I don't know. I don't know why. Um, I just couldn't. I, I, I. I couldn't get past that mental block and it, it plagued me. Um, so I'm, I'm, I don't know. You need to do it. Professional athlete, just like a bobsled team, right. Would visually go through every turn in, in a track and in the course and anticipate those things. Um, it's still something that I struggle with. I can go through my routine all day long. Uh, but the, the act of getting called out top five and then, and then winning, it hasn't happened yet, and, and I know that once I actually can visualize that, it will come through to fruition. So that's something that I'm working on. Beautiful. And, and it, it, it could easily be, Grant, that that comes from feelings of inadequacy in my childhood or, you know, things that, you know, I haven't dealt with yet, so I, I can't, my spirit can't get to that level yet. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get there. Well, no, and that, that does make sense. Uh, and what I love about because I'm a big proponent about about the universe. There's, the universe has a lot of energy, and, and if whatever you throw out there, you you have no clue what's going to come back. And if you're thinking in a positive perspective, because there's been a lot of things in my career, whether as an athlete and in my corporate career, when I just throw out what I want from the universe, man, it's it's amazing what comes back. And if you're open to it, man, yeah. there's there's some pretty powerful things that that you didn't even think could happen for you or to you, and they do. It's yeah. awesome. Awesome. Well, and I, that's what I tell people. I'm like, let's let's dream silly. Like, let's let's talk about some silly dreams. Because if we can dream silly and we can put it out there, and I get up every morning and I I set every every you know my two feet on the ground and I say thank you, and you know, and sometimes you gotta ask the universe for clarity, you know, because sometimes you get you get what you ask for and maybe that you weren't supposed to, but it's if people could master that. And then again, master self-control, 
I, I, and it control over the mind because your mind is going to do whatever you tell it to do. You know, like Ty Green says, you know, thoughts become things. If you can master that, I mean, I walk to my, my, my mailbox every day and I go, I'm going to get somebody to date. I never walked in my mailbox thinking, I'm going to get those because that's what's going to come to you. And I, I think, <laughs> you know, there's a period of, of, of time in my life where it was very hard for me. And I, but what was I bringing on? I was manifesting more hard and you got to control your mind. And I think that's, you, you'll control everything if you can do that. Agreed. I think coming from abundance, which is something that I had yeah. to, I had to like realize about four or five years ago. I just, I didn't really understand the word really. I mean, I understood the word, but with me, like how, how am I going to come from abundance? How am I going to create more opportunity and money? And, and once I got it and once I had a different perspective on how I looked at things and how I approached things, man, my life literally had changed overnight overnight. And it was yeah. just, uh, and it was beautiful and powerful at the same time. So I love, um, yeah. I love, I love you preaching the gospel. I love how you present it. I love how <laughs> real you are. So it's, it's, it's been, it's awesome, uh, to talk to you. But before we close up, um, there's a book that I want to promote, which, um, you might, you might've heard of, uh, Tim S. Grover. He's a humongous trainer for a lot of, a lot of NBA players. Um, he's worked with Michael Jordan and Kobe and, uh, Dwayne Wade, Charles Barkley, but he's super, super intense. He's a really intense trainer, but he has this book that's called Relentless, From Good to Great to Unstoppable. And he's just, you know, as much as I wanna share the book, uh, I don't wanna blow it for, for the listeners that haven't, but I, I encourage you to, to read this book. Also, hear the things that Christine's talking about as far as being disciplined, being true to yourself, Definitely, if, if people want to follow you on social media, how can they follow you on social media? I spend a lot of time on uh, on Instagram, of course. Um, my Instagram tag is, uh, as it should be, Christina Williams World, all one all one word, obviously. I'm not as heavy on Facebook, um, and really I, I, I tend to gravitate more where there's positive. Um, and I think a lot of people on Facebook think they know you. I, I get written to, you know, like, I'm going to see you next Tuesday. And, you know, people write to you, and it's not always uh, in the positive light. So I don't spend as much time on Facebook. But you can look me up. I'm Christina Williams, IFBB Pro on Facebook. Um, my Snapchat is uh, is um, a very strange one. It's Ace is not Cass. I love Snapchat because, you know, uh, you shouldn't put anything on it. It shouldn't disappear in 24 hours. So a lot of times you're going to see me being very silly. Um, I'm very real. I'm not going to snap my dogs or babies, uh, but, you know, <laughs> right. it, it's a good time. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, again, this has been a pleasure. I, I love talking to you. I, I could probably talk to you for the next couple hours, but <laughs> you're just, uh, you're, you're real and I love it. I, I wish you all the, the luck moving forward with your career and, um, and thank you again for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Grant. I really appreciate it. You bet.